We are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus, and together we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That is our mission statement. That is our vision statement. Hopefully you've seen it or noticed it up on the wall. Maybe when you go to the bathrooms, you come out and you see the Be Become Do on the wall. Uh, and, and every now and then you might even see the, the statement, for the sake of others. We, we are trying to clarify and repeat and, and get to sink in what we believe God has called us to do collectively as a church, but also uh, part of that impact is what we do personally, individually, uh, in our lives. You'll often hear us say that uh, God, I think, has often planned for us to be the most effective where we are the most. So this isn't just a church thing. This isn't just a committed project thing. If you're serving on a project or on a team, uh, this is wherever we are, and it is where we can be better together, where we can do more together as a particular body, as a church. That's God's plan for his capital C church. All the little churches all over the place, God's heart is for us to reach people, to love people, to not get them discipled to us, but to get them discipled to him, where they are growing in a life-giving relationship with God. Over the last couple of weeks, we've done a little bit of revision. We've just been celebrating since uh, the, the year of our relaunch as Legacy Church. And the first week, we took a look at, at kind of those, those three goals that we believe God wants us to order our lives around, whatever language you want to use. For us, it is being with Jesus. That's relational. Becoming like Jesus, that's formational. So where we are actually developing and maturing and discipling and to do what Jesus did or what Jesus would do if he were you. Um, that's about obedience. That's, that's a part of discipleship. It's been said that a lot of Christians don't need more food, we need more exercise. In other words, it's not just, I want to know more, learn more, uh, understand more. No, nothing wrong with that. That's important. But, but I actually think we hit a saturation point if we're not living it out, if we're not actually recognizing the opportunities where we are from Monday to Sunday, not just the occasional Sunday, but where we are. The, I think that those who are closest to us should think the most of us. So those that we're at work with, those that we're at school with, those, those that we are you know, in community with and living around, should the, the closer they draw to us, the more, I think, inspired and encouraged they should be over time. And that, I believe, is not going to be because you're perfect or because you get everything right. It's going to be because there's a sincerity, there's a humility, there's an authenticity. When you make mistakes, you own it. You don't, you don't, you don't spin it. You don't push it under the rug. You don't ignore it and hope everyone forgets. You own it. You take responsibility. There's integrity. Where we are the most, I think, is where we should be making the most difference, but also together as a church. Last week, we took a look. Anyone know? Oh, it's always a risk as a pastor, as a preacher. Thanks, Jason. Part two, he says. No, no, he says last week was part two. He doesn't say what it was. <laughs> Don't settle. So, so, so last week, Last week, we actually took a look at how we believe it's life-giving. What we are wanting to reach people with is the life-givingness. And yes, the subtitle was not to settle, where, where we believe that God wants to bring healing and wholeness, healing and wholeness to every part of our lives, intellectually, relationally, financially, emotionally, physically. We are whole people, and what we're wanting to encourage people towards, invite people towards, is that. What I want to focus on briefly today is that word reach. We are here to reach people. In other words, there is actually a purpose. There is actually a mission, and, and that word reach can be replaced with serve, 
love, engage, invite, whatever it takes to build a bridge. Way too often, I think Christians build barriers instead of bridges. A bridge is something that can eventually be crossed. A bridge is something that, that connects. A bridge is something that, that, that actually cares before trying to correct, which is actually almost never your responsibility anyway. Correction is not actually your responsibility on, on the average day, but connection is. Learning to connect, to love, to serve, to relate. And, and maybe, maybe one day there's an interest. Maybe one day there's a response and where, and where someone actually is, is interested enough to find out a little bit more about the one who does invite and the one who does actually want to make a difference. I believe that, that a big part of our telos, which I'll explain in a moment, a big part of our telos is to actually live lives that are ordered around reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus, loving people, serving people, investing in people, giving towards people, doing what we can to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. I don't know if you'd be familiar with the word telos, but one definition is, this, this is according to the Rutledge Encyclopedia of Philosophies, that telos is the ancient Greek term for an end, fulfillment, completion, goal, or aim. In other words, it's our aim in life. It's our goal in life. It is what we think will bring completion. It's what we think will bring fulfillment. Jefferson Bethke, in his book, To Hell with the Hustle, puts it this way, telos is our vision of the good life. Now, before we go on, let's just quickly switch, let's just turn off the definition. I don't want you to get too distracted. It is the vision of the good life. It is, everybody has a vision. Everybody, whether it's conscious or subconscious, everybody has an idea of, if I can just fill in the blank, I'm, I will hopefully experience the good life. I'll experience fulfillment. I'll experience joy. I'll, I'll experience significance. What, because, because people even define a good life differently. There are different things that we're looking to to fulfill us, to, to complete us. He goes on to say that picture we all hold in our minds of that's where I want to go or that's who I want to be and that's how I want it to look when I get there. We all have a telos. It's just not necessarily clear and articulated by every single person. But I want you to think for a moment. If you consider the state of just, just some of the parts of the world that we're familiar with, and there's a lot that we're not familiar with. There's way too much that we are familiar with. There's still a whole bunch that we're not familiar with. But if you even just look at what's been happening in our world on a global scale over the last few weeks, between Hamas and Israel, and Israel towards the Gaza Strip, and so, it's, and so it lands up not just being Hamas, but then to all Palestinians. If we look at what's been happening in Ukraine, over the last year and a half, you think, what is it that drives people to kill innocent women and children and men? There is something that is convincing someone that is worth that carnage, that generational pain. Something convinces Vladimir Putin that it's worth doing what he's doing in the Ukraine. Now, you'll notice I'm saying Vladimir Putin and not all Russians because I don't think that is all Russians. Just like I think it's Hamas terrorists, I don't think it's all Palestinians. And just like it would be certain people in power in Israel that would be, it's not all Israelis or all 
Jews, but there are people that have a sense, whether it's conscious or not, that if I, I'm guessing for Putin, who some believe is one of the wealthiest men in the world, he's already one of the most, probably arguably the most significant leader in recent history in Russia. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that the only thing left for him is a greater sense of legacy. Grabbing more land, being able to, when he's dead, people think, wow, Putin. Something, there's something that's causing that to be part of his telos. There's something that's making him think that will be enough. That will fulfill me. And that's an elusive goal, by the way. John Paul Getty used to be the richest man in the world. When he was asked by a journalist, how much more does he want to get? His answer was, just a little bit more. Or the question might have been, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. You're already the wealthiest person in the world. Unwilling to pay the ransom for your grandson. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So the question that we're faced with is whether or not our telos is the correct telos. So is our goal, is our aim the right one? And, and is it actually even achievable? And will it actually bring lasting peace, fulfillment, contentment? Why would there be so much corruption and cronyism in those in power in South Africa if it's not because there's some form of telos? There's some sense that that'll, hey, that's due to me. I, why, why can't I you know, allow the state to be captured? Why can't I make a few million or billion on the side? Like, I've, I've, hey, I've suffered, I've done my time. Why, why can't I long-term take from others so that, I, so that I get what I think is owed to me? Why would the Women's World Cup final be overshadowed by an inappropriate gesture, well, an intimate act, an unwanted act, by the president of the Spanish Football Association? If there isn't some sense that, you know, I have power, we're celebrating, you know, significantly enough. Like, like, like there's no holds barred. Why would he grab his crutch on national, you know, international TV when they, when they win? Like, there's, there's, there's something wrong with the picture when we allow sexism, racism, greed, domination to take place. Yeah. Yet it is all around us in some form or another because all of us are living for something. We are. We're living for something. Yet Jesus... I think, actually gives us a far clearer picture of what we should be living for than what we often give him credit for. And in my experience over the years, a lot of Christians are wanting to know what God's will is for their lives, and they ignore God's will for today. And I think that unless we realize what he's made very, very clear on a broad level, on a general level, if we're not going to obey that, why is he going to reveal to us the very unique will? Because I think that's often what people are meaning when they say, what's God's will for my life? We're wanting his unique will. Nothing wrong with that desire. But I would argue that we will discover the unique will of God when we are consistently or increasingly obedient to the general will of God. Can I say that again? We want to know the unique will. We want to know God's will for my life. But I think that we will discover that when we are surrendered to God's will for today. When we are surrendered to God's will for, for where we are now, for the people that, it's, it's a lot easier to love people that you're not with. It's a lot easier to think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think I'd be able to love people if I was on the mission field. 
Maybe if you're there for like a week. When you have to live with anybody, of course that's going to be harder. Don't look at the person next to you. That's going to be harder. It's going to be a little bit more complex. But I believe that Jesus makes it clear in many. His words are recorded in so many different places. However, the part that I want to go back to is similar to what we read last week about Jesus ultimately going around, preaching, teaching, healing, bringing health and wholeness to people, healing the bruised and broken parts, healing those parts that have had negative effects from our negative decisions. We're picking up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, where it says that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. In other words, not just sickness and sickness. We said this last week, right? It's, it's more. It's, it's a bigger picture. It's holistic. It's not just our physical ailments. Again, I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message version. He says that, that he healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised bodies, and hurt lives. I think we are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus so that their bruised and hurting lives can be healed. He goes on in verse 36 to say, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them. I think that part of our telos, I think part of our purpose is to see people. We won't want to reach people if we can't see people. Anything less is actually just an ideal. It's beautiful on a wall. We want to reach people. I can feel so warm and motivated in my own personal time. And then the moment you engage someone, it's like, okay, obviously not them. Okay, go, who else? Who can I meet that I want him? No, no. If we can't see people, we won't reach people. And notice that when Jesus sees people, he has compassion. compassion. What do we see when we see people? What do we see when we see people that we disagree with? What do we see when we see people whose, whose value system we completely disagree with? Do we, do, we, do we see the enemy? Or do we have compassion? Because I would suggest that you'll never actually physically, very, it's highly unlikely that physically you're going to see the real enemy. The enemy behind the enemy. And I think that, that secularism, our culture wants us to see people as the enemy. And God's saying, no, 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 I love people. He may not be in agreement or happy with choices, with people hurting other people, but he still has compassion. He sees people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, you want to know what your purpose is? You'll tell us. The harvest is great. There are way more people that are way more open to finding healing and wholeness than what we give credit for. They might be convinced that it's going to be found in something else, but don't don't be convinced that nobody's looking for nothing. I know that's terrible English. No, no, the harvest is ripe, he says. The variable is us, the workers of you. The harvest is ripe, the workers of you. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Who are the workers, Jason? 
Look in the mirror. Where are the workers? Not the professionals, not the pastors, not the missionaries. In fact, often being a professional Christian causes you to have the least credibility with people that are in any way searching. Because, well, you're paid to believe, or you're paid to think, or you've drunk in the Kool-Aid. I think people are far more open in general to people who are normal, that, that they can relate to. That they, not that we're not normal, it's just people don't believe we're normal. People don't believe that, that professionals are human beings and have to deal with stuff and wrestle over issues and battle sin and all the normal stuff that normal people experience. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers out. Then, the very next verse. So, so bear in mind that, that since the Bible was recorded, we've come along and added in breaks, in, in paragraphs, and we've, we've added in verses, and we've added in chapter numbers, etc. This wasn't there originally. So, so right from, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers out. It moves immediately into the next sentence, which just happens to be chapter 10, verse 1, where it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, I know that this isn't blowing you away, those two words, disease and illness, but it is only used in Matthew 4, verse 23, Matthew 9, verse 35, and again in Matthew 10, verse 1. The first two times it's recording Jesus going and bringing healness and wholeness to people, and then in chapter 10, verse 1, he's saying, now you go and bring healing and wholeness to people. I want you to see people. I want you to have compassion on people. And I'm authorizing you. I'm, author, I'm, I'm, I'm empowering you to actually make a difference, to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. And over time, over the rest of your lives, bringing healing and wholeness to all the hurt parts. Praying for healing physically but also walking with people that are trying to heal in, in terms of mindsets and, and, and mentality. Encouraging people towards relational health, financial health, physical health. We have been called, authorized, empowered. Jesus saw and had compassion. Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing all diseases and illnesses. And he says, hey, I'm authorizing you. I'm authorizing you to not only cast out evil spirits, that's a whole other message, but to also heal from every disease, and illness. Again, in the message paraphrase, it's recorded this way. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus, okay, so the prayer is, Lord, send the workers. Lord, send these people. He knows your name. Is it possible that if you are a believer, I spoke a little while ago about how Jesus is praying for you. What might he be praying for you? Is it possible that amongst other things, one of the prayers he's praying for you is that you would go, that, that you would see the harvest and that, and that you'd be willing to take life with you wherever you go, that you'd be a part of bringing healing and wholeness to people's lives. The, the prayer for, for workers was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. We are here to reach people. And the challenge for us, and this is the invitation, 
right? Is that the pendulum, I think, tends to swing from person to person, from season to season within our lives. But I wanna remind you that Jesus didn't only say come, he also said go. He would say, come, come draw aside, come be with me. Come be strengthened, come be encouraged, come be reminded, and go make a difference. Go love people, go serve people. Go be diligent at school, go be diligent at work. Go build bridges, come, be strengthened, encouraged, reminded, find your identity and security in me, and go, love, serve, reach. Come, go, come, go, come, go. And I think that any Christian that only sort of prioritizes the one over the other will lose both. When our doing for Jesus, and I'm talking to the, is it the Marys? I always get confused with the Marys and the Marthas. Anyway, for those of us that, are, that, that, that tend to want to just work, serve, make a difference, if, 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 all we, if our doing for Jesus is not sustained by our being with Jesus, somewhere along the line, there's going to be an emptiness. There's going to be an implosion. But similarly, if all we're doing is just waiting to feel something or just waiting to be encouraged day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, we might look back at some stage and realize, oh, I've just gotten fat and flabby. And, this actually, and I'm actually not healthy. It's both. It's come and go. Come and go. I believe that we need to make a decision. This isn't just something to... Like, tick, okay, cool, that was another Sunday. All right, Jason did part three. No one's going to remember it? Great. No, no, this is actually a decision. I believe that Jesus actually calls us to make a decision as to whether or not we'll follow him. And what he would do is Jesus would do something. He would, he would serve. He would give. He would wash people's feet, which was, uh, that'd be different today. But in that, in that season, in that culture, it would have been an incredibly humble act of service he would, he would speak to people that none of his followers expected him to speak to. He would have compassion. He would have grace. He would do all these things, and he, then he would say, follow me. Follow me. He would love people and say, follow me. Basically, model your life after me. He would serve and then say, model your life after me. He would go away and pray. He would try and hear from God about who he's meant to influence. There's no way that Jesus healed every person that he passed or came into contact with. He had to he had to be healing, loving, serving, teaching, moving on from town to town in response to the Father's instruction. We have to decide what our telos is going to be. Is it going to be about coming and going? Is it going to be about being, becoming, and doing? Is it going to be about following Jesus and actually allowing him allowing us to see people to the point that it moves us with compassion? And by the way, compassion will look different on different people. You have a different personality. Not every person that is moved with compassion is going to have a tear trickling down their eye. Not every person that has compassion is going to feel some kind of warmth in the pit of their stomach. Compassion for you might look a little bit like aggression. Like, we need to fight for this, man. We need to, we need to push back. We need to, we need to, we need to rescue people. We need to, we need to make a difference here. We, we need to not accept fill in the blank. It, it might, so don't expect it to look the same. But it's Compassion. It's compassion. It's a love for people that is driven by a love for God. 
And the reality is whether or not we make this decision. So when we get up in the morning and we say, God, help me not to miss what you have in plan for, what you have in store for today. God, help me not to miss the opportunity. Help me not to miss the, the good works that you have planned for me for today. Whether or not we respond to that, it will have consequences, both temporal and eternal. My life has been changed for eternity because of the faithfulness and kindness of other people. And if you stick around the church, you'll hear us regularly referring back to how we've inherited a legacy that was bought at an incredibly high price by followers of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. Like, there's, I am so grateful that there were people that were willing to live with an eternal perspective. Churches are built by people. And built, I don't mean just physically, it includes that, but, 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 but are developed by people that have an eternal perspective where this isn't home. This isn't all I should be living for. But there are also temporal consequences. Where, where, where I, I, I do not believe that God is only wanting us to reach people so that, one, so that nothing in their lives changes, but one day it'll all be better. I think God wants us to reach people so that there's also an, a now difference. There's a now peace. There's or at least an increase in peace. There's a, there's a now increase in joy regardless of circumstances, regardless of the poverty that, that is being lived in or the, or the, or the lack of resources and, and opportunities. Or maybe you're still in a very dysfunctional, hurtful family, but somehow in that, maybe, maybe God doesn't remove that teenager or remove that child from their right there and then, but he, but he wants to bring a sense of hope and a sense of peace and a sense of joy. Us deciding will have both eternal and temporal consequences. So as I wrap up, I want to make a suggestion, a few suggestions in terms of disciplines of compassion. Because I think, I think if you're a normal human being, you, you're waiting for God to move you, like, <sighs> Mufasa. <sighs> I feel, I feel something. Is it possible that the more we're willing to simply obey God, that the more likely some sense of feeling in terms of, huh, like there's, a, there's like a sense of peace, there's a sense of fulfillment, there's a sense of, yeah, I think, I think maybe this is part of what God actually has planned for me, will come, as opposed to us waiting for that magical feeling. So these are some disciplines or practices of compassion. I'll tell them to you quickly and then I'll unpack them. To pray, to serve, to give, and to share. When I say pray, I'm talking about praying structured prayers and praying unstructured prayers. So a structured prayer would actually be to, from time to time to say, God, please, will you send workers? God, please, will you help the people of Legacy Church and, and the people that, that are in your churches around Cape Town? Help us to see people through your eyes. Would you send workers? That's, that's a structured prayer. There are prayers that, that, that I feel like, there are needs that I feel like God has placed on See, if I say on my heart, then you can just think it's a feeling, but it's not a feeling. On my shoulders, like I feel like there's a responsibility that I have to pray for certain things at the moment. So I've got a reminder going off every single morning so that I remember to pray for these particular needs. It's a structured prayer. But then there's also the unstructured prayers. The kind of prayer that, that you're interruptible. The kind of prayer that you can, when someone's telling you something, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you can say, hey, do you, do you mind if I quickly pray with you about that? Do you know, you'll be surprised at how few people will say no. Some people will say no, 
But you might be surprised at how few people will say no. Or, or maybe it is, it is praying with someone that, is, that, that you know is open to God or in a relationship with God. But, it, but in addition to trying to pray just the best, healthiest, kindest prayer you can, you're also actually open to, God, is there, do, is there, any, like, is there a message? Is there anything that you're wanting to share, which the Bible calls prophecy? Modern day Christians, the ones you get to see on TV, have made something weird out of it. And, I've, and, I've, and in, my, in my opinion, there is, there is so much that I've seen over the years that is so off-putting. And I think that the enemy's laughing because, because he's actually managed to swing the pendulum to the other extent where, where we just actually stop asking God if there's a message for someone, if there's something to, to, to specifically pray with that person. And it doesn't have to be weird. You don't even have to, in fact, I would suggest don't say this is a word of prophecy. You can just pray. And maybe you land up praying into that sense. So we're praying structured and unstructured prayers. I think just even of this last week, we, we had our national team went around to our different regions in Durban, Joburg, uh, Port Alfred, P, and then Cape Town this week. And, and there were different, different uh, incredible uh, strengths and dynamics in, in each of the regions. But in the one region in particular, we just really felt like a stirring to create a bit of space for, for people to just be able to pray for one another. And, and again, you, we didn't make it weird. But the number of stories of people that were just able to pray God's words of life into them. In some cases, it was destiny shifting. A very simple example, someone that Sue prayed with. They told us afterwards, we're literally driving from East London down to Port Alfred, and she was saying to her husband, I know, you know my parents are never going to be the kind of people that say, well done, or I'm proud of you. Um, but like, I'd really just like to know that God is actually pleased with me, you know, that, that God would say, I'm proud of you. Well done. As we're praying with different people, Sue goes up to pray with her, and, and while Sue's praying, she just stops and says, you know, I really just feel like God wants you to know that he's really proud of you, that he's like saying, well done. Sue had no idea. That's a prophetic word. We had another young guy there who, just a wonderful, wonderful volunteer in the church, um, serves as an elder, really helped carry the, this particular church that went through a lot of pain through a, through, through a tricky season after the pastor had had an affair for a couple of years and came out and oh, just, a whole, just a whole mess. This, this young guy, who's a teacher in, in a local high school, just was an anchor through this period until, actually the church has now become called Anchor Church, by the way, um, until we were able to put just a wonderful couple in place and he still serves as, a, as an elder, etc. But, but he, he's felt a call to ministry and and, and yet he has felt like that's just not working out. That's not what seems to be happening. And, and so he, he had actually decided to study further um, along the lines of education, etc. Anyway, two different people came to him and, and prayed over him about the sense of a call to ministry. Don't doubt it. Don't change direction. Like double down type of thing. He came in planning to study more in terms of academics, like in education. He left saying, I'm going, to go, I'm going to study theology. We had another guy. That was it. Just one of the friendliest, warmest people you'll ever meet. His name is Charlie from Grahamstown, or Makanda, which you have to understand, I struggle not to call Wakanda. <laughs> which, one's, which one's Black Panther? Wakanda? Wakanda? Okay, it's Makanda. They don't enjoy my humor when I... Anyway, wonderful guy. Also, actually, in education. 
I remember the first time I met him about two, three years ago. Just, just the sense of call on his life. Just an incredible, incredible, incredible young man. Um, happened to get talking to, to a couple other pastors over lunch about him. Just, it was like a weird, quick little coincidence that we got talking about him. And just there was this clear resonance in my So I was like, wait. I quickly went and grabbed him. He thought I was going to introduce him to a lady because I'm often trying to, you know, date him. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 sit down here. Just listen to us for a moment. And we just went around the table. Five different pastors could just say, could, could speak life into him. Say, Charlie, this is what we see in you. This is what we believe God has done in you. Then we pray with him. Someone else, one, one of the guys shares, shares, a, again, no one makes anything weird out of this. Just says, Charlie, I really feel like you need to, I feel like there's some relationships in your life that you need to cut off. You're taking 10 steps forward, but you're coming back five steps because of these, and you can just see him like just listening. Someone else, when we're praying with him, just, just, just speaks words of life into him. It clicked for me the other day where I, where, where I realized the difference between encouragement and prophecy is that encouragement uh, affirms what is. So this, these are the strengths of the person. Whereas prophecy actually sees what God sees in the future, and it speaks life into the future. And we need it. I'm just telling you, we need it desperately. We need it desperately. We need people to hear God's personalized, unique well, that's praying unstructured. Yeah. Second, to serve, again, that's structured and unstructured. So, so that's, that's serving on a team. And I would, inc- I would challenge you, if you're not willing to serve on a team, just to consider whether or not that is for good reason or is it for a not so good reason. And my invitation is to join a team. Help make Sundays happen, whether it's in the welcome team, in the cafe, whether it's... Every now and then, I find out that someone can sing. I'm like, what are you doing? Or play an instrument. God loves you, bless you. Join the worship team. <laughs> or maybe you, maybe you have the acumen that could, that could learn to serve on the production team. You don't have to be a genius. You just, you, 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 you oh, I'm reliable, I'm diligent. I think I can learn to work a lighting machine and, or the computer or a sound desk or a camera. Like, how hard is it to point and shoot nowadays? Okay, it's a little bit harder than that, but, but, but I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, you don't have to have a postgraduate degree. Yeah. Or maybe you want to serve our generations, our next generations, whether it's, whether it's hosting kids and parents as they're checking in and being, and being a warm, friendly face, or maybe it's providing security so that, so that the right people get in and the wrong people don't get out prematurely. And on a Friday afternoon... What a privilege to get to serve 10, 11, and 12-year-olds through junior youth. And again, you might say, Jason, I don't know anything about kids. I don't know if they'll like me. I don't know if I like them. Okay, but maybe come help with registration or security or food. Or maybe you have a burden to pray, but you just need direction as to where to pray. Well, then come and and sit somewhere. Every service, we have people sitting somewhere else in the building praying for you. You It doesn't have to be visible. But also, in an unstructured way, that's the people in your life, at work, at school, at home, your neighbors. I'll wrap up with the last two quickly. To give, again, structured, unstructured. Structured is, for those of you that have taken up the 10-month challenge, or you've, <clears throat> you're already in the habit of tithing, maybe you're, you, you're, you're committed to adding that 1% towards expansion, towards vision, towards what you're wanting to do in reaching more children, in upgrading some of the stuff that we need to upgrade. Giving to a 
kingdom purpose, to a cause. But then, but then it's also just the unstructured stuff. Like as you have opportunity, I, I'm always encouraged. I'm always amazed at people that actually budget for spontaneous giving. Like just, just to be open. Just to be open to God. Is there someone that you want me to bless? And you might be surprised at how you reach someone with the life-giving message of Jesus when you're just, you're planning for the unplanned. You're planning for the spontaneous. You've, I know most of us don't have this anymore, but like you might have cash. In your, it could be 10 rand in your pocket, 50 rand, 100 rand, whatever. And it's just, God, I don't want to be frivolous, but help me to be open for business. Is there someone that you want me just to bless and encourage? And I'm telling you, guys, there, there are so many people that are dry ground, just waiting for the slightest drop, just the slightest moisture, and an act of kindness can refresh can reach. And then lastly, to share. Sharing is about sharing God's story and your story. Ray Johnston said that good works should lead to goodwill, which should lead to the good news. So as we bring kind, as we're serving, as we're loving, as we're building bridges, that should actually build credibility. It should build goodwill. But somewhere along the line, you want to be able to share the good news. And again, you don't have to go to seminary to be able to do this. In fact, I would argue that in some cases, the overeducated are the worst of this. And I'm speaking for myself in the sense that I can make it so complicated. I remember the first time I went on a Zambia missions trip and I had to explain through a translator to villages the gospel. I'm like, yes, you've messed this up, Jason. And in fact, I actually go back to my days in kids' church where, oh yeah, it's like just God, God loves you. You've sinned, or we've sinned. Jesus died for me. I have to live for Jesus. Like, ah, oh, thank you, kids' church. So this doesn't have to be overcomplicated. You're just, you're just telling the story of God. Or you're telling, and or you're telling your story. Not everyone has a before and after, but, but if there's a before, you can explain the common thread. Like, where, where, where were you? What caused you to search or to be hungry? What what. What was that moment that you made a decision? So, like, so it's kind of like before the cross, the cross, and then after. Like, has, has God made any difference in your life? And you don't have to tell someone else a story. You're not the prosecutor. You're the witness. You're just a witness. You don't have to win a debating competition. You're just there to tell your story. Make sense? Of course it makes sense. I'll close with this. Robert Mulholland, in his incredible book, Invitation to a Journey, all about spiritual formation. You don't have to go read it. Has this statement as he defines discipleship or spiritual formation. It is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others or for the sake of the world. That's it. It's be, become, do. We want to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Together, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do. And by the way, come along to Team Light on Wednesday. You'll hear a little bit more. I think you'll be encouraged as we celebrate certain things, as we, as we give a little bit more input into other areas. Come along. You don't have to be, you don't have, no one has to know your name. You, you can just come along. It's very open. <laughs>